welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eves. And I'm Hannah Hutzpah. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Tim Kiley. And hearing a poem from L. Dylan Reams. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode, where we'll be chatting about How to Fly in 10,000 Easy Lessons by Barbara Kingsolver. That's coming out later in the month. But first, what have you guys been up to since the last episode? Laurie, I believe you're hatching plans. Am I hatching plans? I am hatching plans, yeah. I'm hatching plans in the shape of an actual real-life poetry event, I think, that's, that's happening in the real world and isn't on live, I know. I've been working to organise what I'm calling the poetry graduation party which is going to be an event where we're going to do basically a big joint book launch for a bunch of poets who released books during lockdown and haven't yet really had a chance to have a book launch or have but it's been online or have done one but maybe people haven't turned up as much as they could have because of pandemic so we're going to have a night kind of just having a big joint book launch um, and hopefully flogging a few books. Um, we've got a an really nice orgy of lineup of, and it is an orgy of literature. <laughs> and if the night goes really well, maybe it will end up as one. Um, we've got a really nice lineup of different poets, including um, our guest this our mystery guest this month, who is Tim <laughs> Kiley, because you know that because we've already spoiled it. Um, <laughs> Tim Kiley is going to be joining us um, at that. It's also going to have, there's a great lineup, guys. We have got former podcast guests Rick Dove, Tina Sederholm, uh, Robert Garnham, M- Mary Dickens, and Beth Hartley, who both did the um, sessions oh, with shit. us. These are um, we've also got, that's just some of it. We've also got Kayla Fellman, uh, Serge Neptune, Ezra Harkashaw, O. Stanfast, and Julia Balm, and me. Um, and that is all Ooh. happening in London at the Miller Pub in London Bridge on the 24th of November. It's all ages, wheelchair access, and it is free, although you might want to buy a book to support the night. Um, or eight. I'm super excited <laughs> about it. Or eight. Buy, why not buy? Well, currently, we've got 12 poets on the list. Why not buy 12 po- poetry books and enhance your life 12-fold? Um, so yeah that's uh, on the 24th also if anybody listening has a new book out and wants to perform at the night we're basically trying to get as many poets as we can get so um, hit me up you can find more information about it by searching Poetry Graduation Party on uh, Facebook and also as with all graduation parties some fancy dress and uh, mortarboards and uh, end of year prom dresses are definitely encouraged, oh my God, really? but not an actual requirement of entry. Ball if gowns, you would like. ball gowns for the win. You can. I yeah, found a graduation dress, exactly. robe in a charity shop. I'm so excited. I'll have an excuse to wear uh-huh. Okay. I was I was going to say I have robes available. So. Oh. Tim has robes available. Yeah. So excellent. You, yeah. you could bring I, I, them, I have, Tim, if you wanted to is, officially is, graduate. Is loanable to someone who is more deserving because it ain't it ain't my book launch. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Hannah, if you want to come and bring it, then bring it. Um, we'll be bringing yes. it. That's excellent. the twenty fourth at the Miller Pub 
Yeah. Check London out all Bridge. of Dead Darling's social media feeds. We've been plugging it on that. So, uh, yeah. It's at 7 p.m. as well, I should say, uh, for the doors. And we'll start at 7.30. Um, been doing some filming with Muddy Feet in other news, Whoop. which is exciting. Got some Always new good. poetry clips going to be coming out in the new year, not just yet. We had Genesis Slam, which our guest this month mm-hmm. uh, was crushing it at and did two funny poems and then a less funny poem. And of course, classic slam rules. You do a less funny one and it doesn't doesn't make it. Uh, doesn't doesn't win you the slam, sadly. But I really appreciated the choice of poems anyway. Uh, Tim was killing it. And it was won by Eldon <coughs> Reams, who is going to be our poem of the month this month. And that's that also guys big update um bridget hart's chewing gum uh they came Mm. on and talked about that that's their grease and grease two themed pamphlet is now out um i got a copy it's on small press books is it Uh, everything you dreamed it would be it's everything i dreamed it would be and it's beautifully illustrated as well which i didn't realize when um i was talking with bridget about it so um the illustrations are gorgeous and i got home to find it on my doormat and i read it before my tea went cold um it's great i really really recommend it so that's some of the things i've been doing in poetry this month how about you hannah um the main in-person one was genesis slam which yeah has already been covered but oh my goodness it was so good too yes that that was my first genesis back i wasn't able to make the first one um and it's exactly mm-hmm. as lovely as i remembered um and you know more so because we are hungry <laughs> um and i got to perform <laughs> i did i've honestly pies and pizzas about... are available yes we made use of those too um, I cycled to it and arrived in a big sweaty mess, which is not something I had anticipated. So people were going, hello, do you hug? And I was like, no, right now, I'm disgusting. Um, but yes, uh, and I realised when I was performing the two good things I've written over lockdown that I need to get writing more. Um, but it was really good to write. Kind of- get that insp- yeah that that kick up the butt let alone seeing other people doing amazing things and being like oh shoot ooh, ooh, that has fired off some neurons um i have also been doing the red sky sessions which are run by um apples and snakes mm. which wrapped up probably a little while before but because they're online and they are available after the fact video wise I have been able to fit it in around yeah. my uh, incredibly hectic slash disorganized schedule. So initially I did not do the Red Skies uh, sessions. It was for if you've been w- working for like less than five years, were they saying? But it turns out that they have something like 500 places. So if you're going, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed, you probably <laughs> are. Apply. It is excellent. Um, and they're they have quite some incredible teachers. Yeah, they they are there to support yeah. artists, <laughs> writers, and if you are one of those people, give it a go. Um, what else have I been doing? I am hosting a no, I'm not hosting a gig. I've been like part organising a gig, um, which is happening probably before this goes out on the fifth of November, but for um, an LGBT library called Book Twenty Eight, and they are doing a November fifth still spooky um night oh yeah this looks really interesting yeah yeah so we've got 
Kath Blair of Speak Equal fame. We have got Rick Dove, who's the current reigning UK Slam champion. Fuck yes. We have got me. Um, we have got um, George Parker, who's a poet I've got to know via Insight, but I have not met in person, so that will be good. Um, and the other uh, act mm. who um, is taking part and doing the sort of longer set is Maz Hedgehog, who... I have not seen for absolute years because she's based in Manchester, but I'm very excited yeah. she's coming down in person. Um, and it's going to be sort of witchy, spooky. Uh, I think a lot of people are drawing on fairy it's, tales. Is as well it as at a bonfire? And... No, it's in a library where we will not be burning the items. Oh, that's a shame. I thought it was um, in a bonfire. Not in a bonfire, <laughs> sorry. At a bonfire. Not, not, not on top of it, but surrounding the bonfire the, is what I had in my brain. To the best of my knowledge there is no actual uh, literal fire which is mostly metaphorical uh, but I've also had because it's sort of vaguely Halloween-y themed as well people have been getting excited about fancy dress as well so I can't wait to see what people pull mm-hmm. out of the bag for that. Uh, and that's been most of it for me. Yeah, Rebecca what have you been up to? Not a lot, if I'm honest. Uh, so I didn't make it to uh, Genesis because I had a friend who had a bit of a uh, a bit of a, an emergency. Um, uh, so had to had to duck out of that. Um, yeah, and then I was on holiday for a couple of weeks, which was really nice. Fuck yeah! For my brain. Uh, yes, not very conducive to performing poetry, but yes, much needed. Uh, so that's been great. Um, and then, um, actually, my big news is uh, looks like I'm going to India in a couple of weeks. Um, oh, nice. so next month's going to be quiet as well um, so um, yeah India's changed the rules that will allow my husband to go out and visit his family um, so we're going to go out um, but yeah so it mostly means I've been scrabbling around for visas and shit and not actually uh, focusing on poetry which is very boring but that's that's how life goes it's not that boring it's, it's pretty exciting to be honest it's with you pretty exciting. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about the 10 hours in a tube of recycled air but um, you know I think we're going to be very careful when we get there you know and it's it's going to be worth it to see his family so uh, mm-hmm. so yeah um, so yeah I have bugger all to talk about um, so shall we move on and do an interview let's do an interview <laughs> Tim Kiley is a criminal barrister, as in a barrister that prosecutes criminals, not a barrister who is a criminal, and a poet based in London. His poems and essays have been published in Southbank Poetry, Lunar Poetry, Under the Radar, Fly on the Wall and Magma. He has had work commended and anthologised as part of the 2019 Ginkgo Prize for Eco Poetry and the 2020 Verve Poetry Festival competition. His pamphlet, Hymn to the Smoke, was a winner of the Indigo Dreams first pamphlet competition in 2020. He is a member of Poetry on the Picket Line and a contributor to the work of the Poets vs. Collective and Poets for the Planet. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us, Tim. Uh, did you want to kick us off with a poem? Yeah, um, and uh, g- given that this one apparently went down quite well at, uh, at uh, last month's Genesis, feels like we'll kick off with this one. Uh, this is a poem called At a Certain Time of Life. At a certain time of life, you just have to admit that you need to feel the dream of a luxury flat with a spiral staircase and a view of the river push its thumb in your hole and tell you as it breathes in your ear how much it knows you want it all. And you'll have to admit, you will want it all. Every hard, aspirational inch you'll want those furniture catalogues to lick dark chocolate off your chest while a private education fills your mouth with its sweet privilege. 
I admit it. I want a sound credit score to bend me over the coffee table high above the city <laughs> and feed me luxury profiteroles so the cream drips down biblically on the Royal Academy, on Fortnum's, on Hatchards, all over Piccadilly Circus. I want credit to do this while it fucks me in the ass. Scratch that. I want Piccadilly Circus to fuck me in the ass because at a certain time of life, you just can't be satisfied anymore with you have entered your planned overdraft in the missionary position again. You want to know when the unmade bed in the unpainted room of the rented flat will just go on snoring away five minutes after you finish what it would be like to lie back on a snowdrift of pension money, have your modest portfolio climb on top and deep throat your bougie leopard print dick like its salary depended on it. <laughs> so when now, you did that at Genesis, I was doing the scoring <laughs> and the timing and I got to the end of that poem and I just couldn't believe that you'd fitted all that within three minutes. It's yeah, a, it, a I, lot it, there. It surprised it's me dense. as well. It's it, yeah. There's there's there's. A, I think it's safe to say it's full of incident. There is there is a great deal, a great deal happening, uh, and and I sh- and I should also say that I'm I'm delighted that it went down as well as it did. But um, though, you know, if you guys have seen me perform before, you will know. I think it's safe to say it's a bit of a departure from the kind of stuff that I usually mm. do. Mm. And I was absolutely delighted that that was an experiment that seemed to pay off. And then I had to come up with two other poems. Um, so <laughs> that that part of it seemed to work quite well. I'm, I'm pleased with that. Interesting. Nice. Is it wrong that I really want profiteroles now? <laughs> no. I'm sure we, that wasn't. No, <laughs> not in the slightest. I really want profiteroles. I think we both have poems that have a have a disgusting oh reference to profiteroles. It's, I don't know. This seems to be a thing. I am like, this, you could add this to the slam bingo card, maybe. <laughs> I'm I'm not in the business of yucking anybody else's yum. If if profiteroles are your thing, they are certainly my thing. Then you know, by all means, I feel like it's it's one of one of the many nodes that gets touched upon. Uh, uh, in well, that that probably wasn't nodes right. is quite a disgusting word as well, isn't it? <laughs> that probably wasn't the right way to talk about it. Profiteroles might be the most disgusting food that your mother might serve you with a smile. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Okay, like at, well, a, that's, at, at a nice dinner party. That's that's every dinner party I have to go to from this point on completely ruined. Um, so, <laughs> You're so, welcome. <laughs> oh boy, oh, man. oh boy. This well, I've not had them for years. Maybe I should get them back in my yeah. life. What's the vegan? Do they do vegan yeah. profiteroles? Is that a thing? Yeah. I'm sure, mm. I'm sure if if they don't, somewhere. then. I'm sure. Needs exploring quite urgently. Someone somewhere. Exactly. Talking of needing exploring quite urgently, <laughs> we're going to interview Tim Kiley now. Yeah. Sure <laughs> yeah. So the kickoff point that we tend to start with is how did you get into poetry? Um, I mean, yeah. There's there's a long story and a much shorter story. Um, the the longer bit, which I'll truncate for this interview, is I've been into poetry since I was a very very small child. Um, because I suspect, like a lot of kids who were brought up on a very strong diet of roll dial books that included revolting rhymes and dirty beasts, and I just yeah. it was it was something that I had always 
been brought up to have a lot of fun with and to regard as just a real pleasure the the escapades that you can go on with language used in in a poetic way and also because throughout my schooling there were various times in my life when I would come across a poem and my brain would light up and stand on end and the language would go through me in a way that just reconfigured something about the way I saw the world. If you buy me a drink and get me talking about it, I will rave at people for hours about what happened when my family moved to the UK when I was eight. My then English teacher, Mr. Braithwaite, thank you very much, Mr. Braithwaite, incidentally, read Alfred Tennyson's The Eagle, and I loved it. And then when I did my GCSEs, I studied Seamus Heaney, and I read At a Potato Digging, and again, had that moment of my mind standing on end and I loved it enough that I then went on to do English as my undergraduate degree uh, before I got any of my legal qualifications so you know poetry was always my first love in that regard the second part of it happens when I uh, moved to London in October of 2013 to study for my bar finals and as it so happens my student accommodation is in Hoburn, and it's just around the corner from the Poetry Cafe, and therefore Poetry Unplugged, and I show up there one Tuesday evening in October, and the rest the rest is history i mean you know since then i've that was nearly ten years ago, and in that time it was it was as i got into Unplugged and then started going to other people's spoken word nights, started making friends, started making connections, that I became aware of how, in spite of studying this subject quite intensely for a number of years, how ignorant I was about the spoken word scene and the traditions mm. of spoken word and oral poetry in the UK and elsewhere. And there was this yawning gap in Very my different. knowledge and my artistic appreciation. Yeah. Very different, but also you know that there it's it was fascinating to me that this was just a whole area of my artistic experience that I hadn't focused on as much and that hadn't really been brought to my attention in the same way, and I wanted to know more and so yeah, nine or so years later, I have been just gobbling up as much of it as I possibly can, and yeah continuing to have fun with it and continuing to need it as as it, it's as powerful as hunger or thirst for me i need to have this kind of stuff in my life nice we should clarify for listeners bar finals are to do with law sorry not yes. just yeah. not just getting completely smashed <laughs> the yeah, yeah. The, the thing, and the never thing going you again do and being after barred. the exams yes <laughs> it's the year of study that you have to do in order to after you get your law qualification you then have to specialize as a barrister and that was what i was doing Amazing. So since you kind of stumbled into that, into Poetry Unplugged and, and discovered it, how would you say your poetry has changed and developed? Um, the the big way that I would say it's changed is through having seen a lot of great performers, I've become much more conscious of the way um, that performers use the space and more conscious of the way that poems develop primarily as um, as spoken things, as oral artefacts, which feels weird because, again, through years of studying this subject academically, you get familiar with this critical lexicon that purports to pay attention to things like sound and cadence and uh, and oral affect, 
but yeah you yeah that's it's one thing to hear about it and then to see somebody like you know uh kind of first first best example i saw of this was abe gibson who just sort of mm. i remember seeing him perform and think my goodness this is yeah, this is somebody who is as meticulous and precise with tonality rhythm sound the flow of a line uh, as as a traditional I don't like this word particularly, but as a page poet would be yeah. in paying attention to how a poem looks on the page. And yeah, that has that's been a dimension to my work that I hope through yeah, uh through going to other people's nights and seeing more people perform, I've tried to incorporate that much more into my work. Also just to try and uh, let the poems speak for themselves more. Um, there's been... An, I've certainly been conscious of an attempt to try and pare back some of the uh, more florid bits of the poems that I wrote when I was younger and just try and allow the thing a bit more room to breathe uh, and, uh, and you know, allow the, the effects to, to uh, emerge of their own accord, hopefully, without too much forcing on my part. To kill your darlings, some might say. <laughs> In, you might well say, yes. You might well say... I think that's a really interesting point that you made about the orality of it because yeah, I used to think that at school when they were sort of talking about how the poem sounds and I was mm. like, I'm not going to sit in the middle of the exam and read it out, am I? No. Like, More's the pity, this... I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like there's this this kind of, I, yeah, it's, it's sort of told to you in a very technical sense, but you don't actually get it explored particularly. Yeah. Um, well, there's there's really, less yeah. there's less room for it, I think. And again, yeah, probably because yeah, you mentioned the constraints of doing it in an exam setting where you're not just going to have people sat in the hall and read it out. But um, but also, yeah, just generally, I think that that can pass over into a kind of general snobbery about um, spoken words and you know performed poetry more generally as a kind of cultural mode where. There is, I think, something of a tendency on on the part of some of the more kind of, um, how do I put this? Some of the more ignorant mainstream critics of uh, of live literature and spoken word tend to think that mm. we're all about these, uh, you know, flashy lyrical gymnastics that are actually, you know, just covering for the fact that the work itself is quite shallow, uh, and I mm. think that's led to a suspicion of stuff that is too lyrically flashy which is yeah. silly and you know it's you know I, I, I the critical community within spoken word is just as astute and just as demanding as any other artistic community and it has its cliches and it's you know yeah. it's it's artistic um standards just as much as anybody else but there is a, there's a great deal of snobbery still to contend with well i think we're getting better at that now generally speaking i think that a lot of mainstream assumptions of what spoken word is comes from the time someone in a sitcom goes to a poetry slam that one time and half the audience are wearing berets yeah and i feel like there's a lot yeah. of kind of inherited <laughs> cultural assumption that you know what the thing is from people who haven't bloody been to the bloody thing and the more people like Kay Tempest yeah. as a kind of crossover into mainstream act or like Amanda Gorman at Joe Biden's inauguration like the more examples of spoken word that people have that they're like oh actually I did like that the yeah the more that kind of yeah exactly straw person <laughs> yeah. idea of a slam disappears yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. I think yeah, the the more the you're you're absolutely right. I think the more the more exposure people have to it, the more people think, "Oh, is that what it is?" I I had no idea that that was actually what it involved. Um and yeah, the the best remedy for yeah, uh, a lot of the kind of inherited assumptions is always going to be exposure. Get more people in. Get more people into nights like Genesis where they can buy a drink and then see a bunch of people, you know, do these spectacular poems. Um and it's not just this is what this is. It, it's this. It, you go to a spoken word night, and if it's a good spoken word night, you'll see fifty different types mm. of poems. It's yes. more a question of this is what this can be. It yeah. can be lyrical and mm. and you know verbal gymnast gymnastics, and maybe that's hiding a lack of uh, substance. But that you know that's still got some merit to it. Maybe it's very quiet poetry mm-hmm. that's non-rhyming. Maybe it's primarily to do with the sound of the poem or the physicality on the stage it can be so many things yeah and it's definitely not as hannah's saying your one that you've seen in whatever sitcom it is where mm-hmm. it's maybe you know you're beating it sitting around like mm, yeah yes. mm, preach click, on click, you click, crazy click, click, click. Uh, yeah, yeah that doesn't yeah like, doesn't happen you know it's just uh, <laughs> um it's not it's it's limited it, yes it, 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 there is room for that <laughs> true true but it's not uh, but, it's not it exclusively no, is it you're right you're right and yeah i, I yeah I, um i you know it's it's correct to say that you know on any given night if you turn up and see you know bird speed and tom bland performing side mm. by side they will be performing wildly totally different different. styles of poetry both of which have a place within the scene and both of which are you know very exciting examples of what this what this genre can do or that even then mm. it feels weird referring to it as a genre because it's so yeah. baggy and so yeah it holds so much um but no i think yeah that's that's a, that's absolutely correct bouncing off from that then obviously you're just putting together your your first, you're you're in the process of having your first pamphlet published how did you find that transition from sort of this this medium that is very much stage based to to working on the page were there any challenges there for you um not as much as um as as you might think because again as i say it was sort of um in my case it was more sort of page to the stage and then back again um mm. but just bearing in mind a lot of what had had helped me to to make my way in that world and i think as a result of it just writing better poetry more generally like the artifact itself the thing that you produce is tighter as a result of paying attention to those things i think and and i'm increasingly coming to the view anyway the more of this i do that the division between page and stage starts to break down pretty comprehensively once you've been doing this for a certain length of time there are poets who you know can produce particular effects on stage that they might struggle to reproduce in a text if they're being assisted by things like you know if they're uh, in a setting that makes greater use of lighting and stagecraft and more sort of theatrical effects or audience participation or something of that kind but you know those are largely i think differences of modes of reception rather than differences of modes of producing the poem um they're just they are performance spaces whether you're live on stage or in the pages of a book that offer you possibilities to create different effects and do different things and you know depending on the needs of your particular project you'll you know you'll take advantage of one medium to do one thing and another to do something different um but 
yeah, I suppose it's yeah, it's a very long-winded way of saying that I think the the thing that the things that I had learned while performing have helped me, I think, to make the the finished pamphlet work better on the page if only because it's made me more conscious of what can be done in the space of a page that you know, might not always be replicable on stage and vice versa. Yeah. It's interesting. I sort of I don't quite agree personally with the with the thing about I think I I'm, I'm as I'm getting older I'm feeling less and less like um there's a there's no division between page and stage. I feel like I'm reading more page now that I'm reading more page poetry I'm like what excites me is when I feel like the writer is really making the most of the space on the page um and kind of maybe moving it quite away from what it maybe looked like as a performance poem Hmm. Um, but it's also you know it's really interesting to hear that yeah um, other Um, flip side to it yeah I, I think I can sort of see what you mean because I mean the for me the I think probably this is an entirely personal response, by the way. This isn't something that mm. yeah, you know, yeah, I, I can't sort of have anybody back me up on this. But, but <laughs> when I come to when I come to something like it, there's uh, when I come to a prose poem, particularly, there is mm. something about the space that is created, the literal physical space on the page of the poem, that gets me into a particularly receptive mode that um, I think you would struggle to replicate on stage, possibly mm. because of the kind of prose poetry that I've consumed. But um, yeah. there are there's a great deal of prose poetry, particularly by, um, you know, if I read something by Franz Wright especially, that gets me into this very hermetic, meditative headspace that you can do in a live space, albeit that it requires a very different, establishment of mm. atmosphere and it wouldn't strike you, you know, the, the way that it's arranged on the page wouldn't strike you at all because why would it it's not you know, it's not there yeah. for you to receive it um so yeah it's, i i can see what you mean that you know the 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 way that you the way that you approach the poem in live performance will often allow you to appreciate parts of the poem that wouldn't necessarily be obvious if you were getting it on the page and vice versa. I suppose mm-hmm. I just, I feel like, again, those for me relate to relate to the kind of expectations that your audience brings to it or the way that your audience receives the poem. And you can bear that in mind when you're arranging or composing it or writing it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just... I'm just conscious of the fact that as well, you know, the division gets quite blurry when you also consider that a lot of performance poets are also people with a large body of published written work and that, you know, a lot and and vice versa. So it's it's blurrier at the edges, I suppose, than than I think is often generally given credit for. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. On the... I'm wondering how your experience as a barrister then impacts on both language and performance because legal legal contracts have been considered void over the placement of a comma <laughs> that that <laughs> and yet legalese is famously impassable yeah how how do you how how do you think your professional your experience your day I mean plays into you know it's it's interesting i i think 
you're you're correct that you know the the demand for precision and exactitude and the impenetrability of the jargon are actually two sides of the same coin and i think that's true of any kind of technical profession but especially one like the law where so much of it turns on language that the the jargon is often the product of an attempt to be as specific as possible um you know words have very particular meanings in a courtroom setting where it's quite critical that you are clear with the judge with your client with you know all the relevant parties about what you're referring to and therefore you have to try and excise as much vagary and as much obscurantism from your language as possible but the end result of that is that you get these bewildering taxonomies of (laughs) highly specific (laughs) things that actually sound more or less interchangeable if you don't work with them day in and day out if i try and explain the difference between uh malicious wounding to uh wounding uh, wounding with intent or malicious wounding versus uh grievous bodily harm without intent then Mm. i you can sort of get what i mean but you have to sit and think about it for a moment and to somebody it might sound like i'm just throwing a blizzard of words at you when you know to to a legal professional those have very particular meanings how that then bleeds over into bleed probably not the best to use in that context, but um, how that then crosses He's over. He's got a murder in the morning. How, the, how that you then crosses over. Boom! Oh my goodness! Um, how that no, then? Tim, stop corpsing. <laughs> Oh, the, the Bar Standards Board is going to have a field day with this when it turns up at my eventual disciplinary <laughs> hearing. Um, <laughs> I think what Tim is saying is that he objects. Oh. In yeah. strong Sorry, terms. In in yeah. robust <laughs> terms, Your Honor. Um, the, the way that that crosses over, I think, ultimately, is that, yeah, I do... Part of the reason why I write is to try and do as much justice if you like to the the phenomena Justice. that i encounter yeah well yeah i yeah i think that that is an appropriate word to use in this context um to try and you know to to do justice to the things that i see to the language that i receive to the way that it works on me and in order to do that it helps to have um and I place quite a high premium on a very disciplined manner of seeing and trying to describe the thing as exactly as I can. Um, that can, you know, that can be helpful in terms of things like getting rid of cliche, looking for, mm. uh, you know, vague or unhelpful linguistic formulations, and trying to come at it uh, as as precisely as you can. It has yeah. potential downsides, uh, which have been pointed out before, and I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that generally when people describe something as um, particularly a piece of speaking or writing as loyally, it's generally not a good thing, uh, <laughs> that it usually means dull rather than meticulous, forensic, uh, and exact, uh, although it mm-hmm. may mean that as well as the other thing. Um, but I think what what I hope is that nevertheless, by trying to pare away as much of the inessentials and describe the thing as exactly as I can, approaching it as yeah. exactly as I can, that the, the originality and the the impact is the thing that comes forward, that what you're mm. left with is the 
the phenomenon working on the reader or the audience as as effectively as you can possibly manage. Um, yeah. So you know, hopefully, while while avoiding just sounding tedious, uh, I can utilize that kind of command of the language in a way that improves the poem overall. Yeah, we've we've talked before on the podcast about this kind of idea of wanting to, as a writer, articulate yourself nice and clearly and as kind of directly as possible mm. without um, com- without completely losing the meaning. Mm. Um, and sometimes you kind of have to control, a, a really good writer can control their level of ambiguity in their writing and allow yes. space for the reader to kind of insert themselves into it mm-hmm. um to a wider or lesser degree it's certainly something i think yeah. we've talked about or maybe not on the podcast directly mm. but between the three of us we've talked about that quite a lot yeah um, and i think it's an interesting thing that yeah in fact that's, saying the law and yeah. the legal language has in, influenced you there yes and I'm, i mean you know that's that's that in itself is a balancing act that you know as mm. as you put although actually the more i write the more i the more i think that language being what it is and you know we try for the purposes of conducting legal business and all kinds of other business to make it as clear and as um as as transparent as possible but we know from working with it day in and day out as a medium that actually language is incredibly slippery and murky and that (laughs) even when you are trying to be exact it will probably be multifarious and it will probably end up speaking with with multiple voices and so as you said this is this is the room to breathe that a good piece of poetry or a good piece of art more generally will allow the reader uh, and it will become a hopefully a space in which multiple meanings can coalesce and in the best of cases this is possibly where a difference emerges in between performance and page poetry that it will be dependent upon a choice made by the performer that tips it one way or the other way in performance. Hmm. Although, yeah, there is there is a school of thought I think that would would argue that actually a really good performance can make the audience aware of all of the potential shades of meaning in any given hmm. word or phrase, while not necessarily coming down on one side or the other. I don't know if I've ever seen a performance like that, but yeah. you know, it's it's something that I have. I have ahead of me as a sort of as as a goal to be aware of uh, if you're really trying to produce good good work. Yeah, that's a goal exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I mean, in performance, you've always got body language and tone and voice and microphone and space that allow you to create those those different kind of shades um, that you kind of don't have when you're um, writing for the page. Do you? you kind of the poem's kind of standing on its own Mm. so you kind of need to have thought about how it's going to be received yeah um just as a piece of text which is sometimes quite a challenge Mm. i think yeah um, i think the i think the challenge there really emerges from sort of allowing the the audience and the reader room to inhabit it Mm. and room to allow their own voice to to take the words and do something with them um if you're if you're very very lucky then you may occasionally come across i've i've you know i come across this maybe once a year or so when i'm reading a collection or something in a magazine where it feels as if 
in the best of cases, it feels like my own words are kind of reaching back to me through the poem, mm. and it's like I'm meeting, I'm meeting myself, but yeah. but a side of me that I have never seen before. I don't know if that sounds incredibly waffly and very. It's like it's articulating but... something that you've already thought about and putting it back to you in a way that. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 that illuminates some completely yeah, different side yeah. of you that you know there's there's it's like there's another version of you somewhere that you that you're encountering through this poem um yeah yeah that's that's when it happens it's gold dust um so good, that's <laughs> that is the kind of thing that that's the again the brain lighting up standing on end moment that is the reason <laughs> why i've i've been doing this for for as long as i have talking of lighting up mm. and lights <laughs> nice. That nice. leads us quite nicely into our next question, mm-hmm. um, which is about lights and power and energy ah. and environmentalism. See what you because did Because you are a member of the Green Party. I am. Um, you've worked with Poets for the Planet. Mm. So how do you think, if at all, environmentalism, sustainability, all the stuff you do in that, mm. in that political world kind of influences your um, writing, if it does at all? Um, certainly, certainly it does. And it's becoming more prominent as time goes by. Um, it's as a result of, again, attending all of the nights that I have, that I got introduced. Um, yeah, my poetry has definitely become more political, and I have got used to performing it in more of an obviously political arena as time's gone mm. by through Poetry on the Picket Line and others. Um, and I suppose... It's not too big a step for me to transfer over into something like environmentally conscious writing because if one of the reasons that you write is to try and meet the world and receive it in an open and engaged way, then that does lend itself to a certain valuing of the world as it is and a certain affection for the world and a desire to preserve it, speak on its behalf... Uh, and you know, where appropriate, take action or urge others to action in defense of it. Um, the trick is um, making sure that you're doing it in a way that, um, while galvanizing people into action, also doesn't itself reproduce the kind of cliches that mean people will mm. stop listening. Uh, and yeah. so, yeah, being a good poet and doing good ecological advocacy have always seemed to me pretty similar. I yeah, I I'm under no illusions about the the impact that any of my individual poems have. The audience that they have is probably very small, but you hope nevertheless that you know the the way that other people read and receive your work then you know strikes strikes at something within themselves mm. that you know, allows them to to go through their day-to-day lives with a with a fresh awareness and a fresh perspective on things um and you know if you're again if you are lucky enough to be able to fuse those two parts of your life as your friend of mine robin lambol is and others but yeah he's just uppermost in my mind because i know he has just come back from uh doing work with poets for the planet at cop 26 um Mm. They got a Daily Mail headline ranting about them as well, which I think has got to be Ooh. a... Oh, well, that's always a good thing. That's a hell of an endorsement. That's a yeah, he's, pride, yeah, it's a... <laughs> an enjoyable experience. Him Jesus. and the... Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, him, him and the... I believe the phrase that the writer used was militant Thunbergians. 
in the sense of... I don't of, even know what that means. What is a Thunberg? I believe it means a fan Greta of Greta Thunberg. Thunberg. Um, oh, a Thunberg. Because yes. no one gave a shit about the environment yeah. until yeah. Greta came along. Until she, she it's, it's talked about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Daily Mail is not giving David Attenborough this shit, are they? Mm, no. If there's one person I would describe as a militant Thunbergian, it would be Robin Lambert. <laughs> I've always suspected militant yep, yep. and Thunbergian. You know, you when know were, as soon as you look at him. When they guessed it on the podcast, I thought there is a militant Thunbergian. Yes. That's for sure. It was it was it was radiant through through also, the audio. that could be the title of their next collection easily. <laughs> militant Thunbergian would make an excellent title for a poetry collection. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, Robin, sure you Robin's can have that one for got free. Better ideas. <laughs> But the Daily Mail comment section, if you can stand to look at it, like, I, I raided the Guardian comment section the one and only time I got an um, I I nicked the most obnoxious comment and it looked brilliant on an Edinburgh Fringe poster. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Um, yeah. No matter how foolish this young lady is, she really does have a serious point. Wow. <laughs> one of the things we've talked a lot about, um, not a lot about, but maybe not on mic, uh, We've all been watching and hearing political poetry for well over a decade now um, in open mics and slams and all sorts. And I think one of the things that Hannah and I kvetch about a lot is I've heard this before. I've seen this before. Mm. You're preaching to the converted, you know, why are you doing this here? Everyone knows the bankers suck. Everyone knows sexism is bad. Yeah, exactly. And I think yeah. there's certain poets Which... that we um, are aware of where where we know that they kind of pick on, not pick on, that's the wrong word, but choose a subject which is almost so obvious that yeah. that nobody nobody in the audience is going to be like well i disagree with that you know you know like, you've really made yeah. me think i've i've come away really thinking about yeah so yeah going after yeah, the exactly. low hanging fruit the same thing i think political yeah. poetry i think often falls into a similar category to writing poetry about writing is mm. that it's yeah. easy and tempting to do hard to do well it's hard to yes. do it can well, be done well. Yeah. Yes. it can be done really interesting yeah it can and i think it's yeah. one yeah, of it's, the first yeah, things that people certainly. come to is like i care passionately that sexism is wrong it's like yes but mm-hmm. which is great there's nothing wrong with that yeah. as such necessarily <laughs> but yeah, yeah but yeah. caring mm. caring passionately about it might not necessarily be enough mm. there's a um there is a wonderful i i keep bearing in mind something i think this is in in fact um how to be a poet that nine arches mm. collection that was yeah. published not long ago where, yes uh really really good uh collection generally but where they quote i think in one of the chapters on this the uh polish poet Wisława Szymborska um who i know my fiance will be happy about me name dropping in this podcast <laughs> where she um where she she says um i yeah she's often kind of confounded by the way in which these very earnest young people supposedly came to her with their passionate denunciations of the vietnam war or whatever it was and mm. were told well this is just dull it's boring poetry yeah. and she said well think of it like this if i wanted to be a cobbler then mm-hmm. it wouldn't be enough that I was just really, really enthusiastic about human feet. However yeah. real my enthusiasm <laughs> may be, at some point you do actually know have to actually make some shoes. Um, mm-hmm. You have to know a thing or two about the nuts and bolts of actually putting them together. In fact, if there are yeah. nuts and bolts in your shoes, that's probably a bad sign, and that's <laughs> a sign that you're doing it wrong. Um, so, yeah, knowing 
you sort of having an appreciation for the fact that you know first and foremost while this may have a political message it is a poem and that will yeah. mean that there are certain expectations about what it's like to listen to i'm just very fortunate that the people that i learned how to do political poetry from were um you know people on poetry in the picket line chip grim and nadia drews and others who are still you know amazing mm. examples of that kind of work and- and poetry on the picket line and the work you're talking about with um obviously going up to cop 20 not you personally but poets for the planet going up there you know you're taking poetry political poetry and putting it in the face of people who don't listen to poetry mm. and who don't who are not you know the soft um probably i'm gonna say it they're probably left wing um probably a bit lovey you know at a at a poetry night you know there's um yeah there's a certain type of person who goes to a poetry night isn't there so it's we've, nice we've, we've got a type i think it's safe to say there is a type there yeah. is there is a type exactly so taking those poems and putting them in political poems and putting them in a political space is a really interesting and valuable thing to be doing mm. last month as we all talked about you did a bit of a rocking of the genesis slam you did two funny poems and then switched to a more kind of serious or not not deathly dully serious but a different tone for the last one Mm. um when you're writing do you find yourself that you kind of make a choice to write funny or serious pieces or is it kind of more the poem leads you in different directions how has your process worked there i i can say with confidence that it's rarely if ever my choice uh and that (laughs) actually trying to sit down and having made a decision i will write a serious slash funny slash romantic poem is a fool's enterprise Uh, (laughs) and the poem will have more interesting ideas of its own if about where it wants to go and you're better off listening to that um given that i generally compose my poems starting from a line an image a a a phrase that Mm. is a much more reliable guide for and as i work on it that that will (coughs) disclose to me hopefully what kind of a poem it is as i work and rework it um and as i said that tends to produce in my experience more reliable and more readable and enjoyable results Brilliant. And speaking of the results, <laughs> tell us about Him to the Smoke. Uh, so this is your pamphlet that is coming out with Indigo mm, Dreams. It's out. Ooh, mm. it is out. It's yes. pretty. It's very indigo. It is, yeah. A lot of indigo there. Um, Him to the Smoke is a weird little pamphlet uh, that I got together basically through the earlier stages of the lockdown last year when a lot of my trials were getting cancelled and I was confined to my bedroom, where I just decided to start collecting a lot of stuff together. Hymn to the Smoke is the pamphlet that resulted from the poems that didn't fit in anywhere else when I was trying to get stuff together for a pamphlet. But it just so happened that all of them kind of coalesced around this general subject of trying to capture things that fundamentally can't be captured. I'm fascinated Mm -hmm. with that kind of meaning-making capacity that poems have (laughs) to take something that's ephemeral out of an everyday occurrence, whether it's, you know, the sight of a blackbird or a glass Mm. being knocked over or a game of cards or whatever it might be, and just trying to take something fundamentally very shapeless and ephemeral and try and give it meaning and coherence, if only for a short time. And, yeah, it's 20 or so poems on that theme uh, about which poem, poets that I admire very much have been kind enough to say some very nice things. So if you believe their taste and judgment, 
then you may wish to consider buying yourself a copy. And, and, and where, where can people we buy, buy it? it? You can either buy it uh, from uh, Indigo Dreams directly uh, on their website, or you can buy it from me. Uh, I also, uh, like a number of people who've come through this podcast, have a Big Cartel page, so go to timkileybooks.bigcartel.com, and I will sign your copy for you when you buy it. Ooh, exciting. Also, can they pick up a copy at the Poetry Graduation Party Absolutely. at the Miller Park in London Bridge on the 24th of November? <laughs> Absolutely they can, and I would very much recommend that they do. And while you're at it, I'll be there trying to get signs on my copy of Tales from the Other Box and to pick up a copy of those Queer Merboys, which I've been trying to get a hold of all year. Um, so, yeah. Come get my, buy my pamphlet, buy a lot of other people's pamphlets, um, support your local poets, uh, support poets who aren't local, support poets more generally, just, you know, fill, fill your life with poetry. <laughs> Brilliant. And have you got anything else you want to plug and where else can people find more about you? Um, if you uh, want to see more of my stuff, uh, I am on the usual social media uh, outlets. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Tim Kiley one or one word. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, Tim Kiley dash poet. Uh, that's the page. And uh, I am also on WordPress, uh, timkileypoetry.wordpress.com, uh, although that one's going to need me to update it in the fairly near future because it's, uh, it's, been, it's, it's been getting dust for quite some time, <laughs> pretty much since the pamphlet came out. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. This has been such a pleasure. This month's book is How to Fly in 10,000 Easy Lessons by Barbara Kingsolver, chosen by Rebecca. So, Rebecca, why did you choose this book? Uh, I chose this book because I happened to be in a bookshop and I saw Barbara Kingsolver's name uh, and she wrote uh, a novel called The Poisonwood Bible, which I love so much. And um, I, yeah, if you're into poetry as well, I would recommend it. She's very, very into Emily Dickinson. Uh, or one of the characters is very into Emily Dickinson. I think judging by at least one of the poems <laughs> in here, I think that that may be a personal thing of Barbara Kingsolver's. I think um, if you write she... a novel in which one of the characters is into Emily Dickinson, you probably know a thing about Emily Dickinson, right? Yeah, and really getting into kind of, you know, the thing with feathers and stuff like that and sort of uh, playing around with it. Um, and it is, it's just, a, it's a beautiful novel about kind of, um, um, uh, the Belgian Congo, so the post-colonial sort of ramifications there, um, an American family going over there, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just a fabulous, fabulous book. So I was like, oh, she writes poetry too. Yes, please, I will have. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I chose this book uh, because I wanted to read it. Mm, okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. I uh, <laughs> think that's an interesting thing because actually, when I was reading the book, my uh, particularly in the first section it's, it's split into seven sections isn't it I think um, mm. overall but particularly the first section uh, which or every poem is a how-to poem um, actually really reminded me of your writing Rebecca <laughs> like, oh I can die happy now I was like oh, wow uh, I was you. like who is this reminding me of oh it's Rebecca <laughs> right that's the reason Rebecca chose this book because <laughs> these poems remind me of your writing yeah it really wasn't deliberate like I said I, I sort of hadn't really been conscious that she wrote poetry before no. seeing a, a copy in, in Waterstones but uh, yeah maybe the novel influenced you in some way I don't yeah. know it's just um 
Yeah, so the first that was a little taster of our book club episode. The full episode will be out later on in the month. Uh, find it wherever you find your podcasts and wherever indeed you found this podcast. Uh, next month, we will be discussing Christmas poems by Wendy Cope, chosen by Laurie as a nice seasonal book for us. If you've read it, if you want to read it in that time, let us know. Get in touch. Tell us what you think. Yeah, we want to hear your views as well. You can read along with us. So yes, that'll be Christmas poems by Wendy Cope. <laughs> Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10 or so opportunities to look out for where you can perform your work or submit it for publication. And also, just stuff we think is cool. Laurie, what have you got for Um, us? You can guess what I'm going to plug first. Poetry Graduation Party, hosted (laughs) by me. I'm going to do this really quickly. As I said, joint book launch for a bunch of different poets. We've got books out during the pandemic across a range of different publishers. Uh, We've we've got Tim Kiley, who's been our guest this month. Rick Dove, Tina Sederholm, and Robert Garnham who have also been guests before, Mary Dickens and Beth Hartley, who featured on the sessions. Plus, we've got Caleb Feldman, Serge Neptune, Ezra Harker Shaw, O. Stanfuss and Julia Baum and me. So that's, um, we're launching our relaunching books. Um, you can have readings, books for sale and also book swaps, hopefully, between poets. Um, that should be fun. 24th November, it's at the Miller, London Bridge, all ages, wheelchair accessible. It's free. Um, and if you've launched a book since March 2020, you can also grab a slot by commenting on the Facebook event. Just search for Poetry Graduation Party. Please come. I'd love to see you. Um, so that's the first thing I've got. Uh, Magma Poetry has two competitions open right now with a deadline of the 14th of January 2022. First is the Judges Prize for Poems of 11 to 15 lines, and that's judged by Marvin Thompson. And the second is the Editor's Prize, which is for poems of up to 10 lines and is judged by the Magma Editors. You don't have to just enter for one, you can enter for both competitions. Uh, For each prize, the first prize is £1,000, which isn't too bad. You could buy 100 copies of any uh, poetry book that you care to name, probably for that much money. (laughs) Um, Second is £300, which is the equivalent of 30 poetry books that you would care to name. And third is £150, which is 15 copies of any poetry book that you would care to name. And... Your poem will be published in Magma magazine if you win or get first, second or third prize. Uh, There are some fees for entering. So if you want to check out the full details, they are at magmapoetry.com. I also really want to big up uh, Pete Bearder's new tour, which is called Homer to Hip Hop. And it's based on uh, the book Stage Invasion, Mm -hmm. which I borrowed from Hannah and scrawled all over. Um, We've talked about it on the podcast before. It's a nonfiction book about the history of spoken word. The show um, that Pete's doing based on the book is currently touring across the UK into 2022. You can find the full tour details by searching Pete Bearder or Pete the Temp. Um, I'm going to try and go to the London date on the 13th of November, which is with Word Up. Um, Just I haven't seen it yet, but based on having read the book, you don't want to miss this one. This is going to be really interesting. culturally rewarding show to go and see and i can't wait to see it it's been getting some really good um buzz online as well awesome hannah what have you got for us so my things coming up are more distress flares from some friends of the show who have been hit by the pandemic so um spoken word london which happens in uh, vfd in dalston and is free to attend big friend of the show uh have a fundraiser going to keep that night running it's free to enter the night but there is 
finance behind the scenes. So to donate to that, it's chuffed.org forward slash project forward slash spoken word London. And there is also a fundraiser for Burning Eye Books, which is the publisher of uh, my, mine and Laurie's books. And this isn't just nepotism. They are the main, the, the largest publisher working with spoken word artists in the UK. And they've really revolutionised. Uh, they've, they've removed some of the stage page barrier by being this publisher to the spoken word scene. Um, so you can either buy some books. <laughs> this is the perfect time to buy some books. If you've ever been meaning to buy my book, Laurie's book, uh, or the books of household names like Holly McNish, T.S. Eliot Prize, uh, shortlisted uh, powerhouse Joelle Taylor, um, and numerous other people we've had on the podcast, then if you go to Burning Eye, I as in in your face, uh, burningeye.bigcartel.com um, and just buy some books from an incredible publisher. Christmas is coming up. Or also they have a fundraiser just to keep the lights on and keep their three members of staff <laughs> going. And that is if you go to coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash burning eye books. Um, and the other thing to recommend slash plug is um, any people seeking a LGBTQ plus library. Um, there is a library that has been set up called Book 28, as in Section 28. Um, and it is just around the corner from Borough Market. Um, so go searching for Book 28 and they are forming a... This, this LGBTQ plus library exists and it's an awesome resource and they are building it, growing it, and they have arts nights and stuff. So I would plug Book 28 as an excellent library resource for any queer and queer curious and um, enthusiastic ally listeners. Rebecca, what have you got? So my recommendations this month, I'd like to start off by uh, echoing what Hannah has said. Uh, and uh, yeah, do if you uh, want to support Burning Eye, please do. They publish some fantastic poets, uh, not just Hannah and Laurie, who are fantastic, but other fantastic poets too. And yeah, similar for um, Spoken Word London, which is just one of the most fantastic events. And I know so many things who've got their kind of first start um, at Spoken Word London. It is this incredible place for the scene. Um, so yeah, if you are feeling generous, uh, follow Hannah's instructions and uh, yeah. Uh, do feel free to give to that um, so in terms of my actual recommendations so we've got Zoomerang so this is Boomerang uh, regular London spoken word night has been quite quiet during the pandemic they did a, a Zoomerang special and they're doing another one for their seventh birthday before I believe they are kind of returning in style in the new year in a, in a physical format you know pandemic allowing but yeah so they've got their seventh birthday special is on Tuesday the 23rd of November from nine o'clock online events there will be open mic spaces sign up before November 16th to be in with a chance of having your name pulled out of the uh, hat you can find more about that if you go to facebook.com forward slash boomerang london you'll be able to find them there and then uh, the next one is uh, nottingham's diy poets are doing a November showcase on this coming Wednesday the 10th at 7 30 uh, they uh, say be prepared for pathos, chuckles, surreal moments, hard truths and assembly of beautiful words designed to pluck at your heartstrings. Uh, so this is an online event hosted by Martin Dean and Claire Stewart. There will be uh, three minute open mic slots available on the night. If you search for DIY Poets November Showcase on Facebook, you should find that. In a moment, we're going to have a poem from L. Dylan Reams to play us out. But before we do that, anything you guys want to plug? Sure, you can find me on Facebook <laughs> and Instagram at Laurie Use Poet or on 
Twitter at Mr. Leaves. I should probably tell people how to spell my name. It's L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S. It's a weird name to spell. Uh, my book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, which is laurieves.com, L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S.com, or stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. I am Hannah Hutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, on all of the platforms. Um, I can provide a variety of pictures of... Uh, rainbows arranged out of the nature I find around me. That seems to be what I'm doing on Instagram at the moment. Uh, but I'm also the host of Insight, uh, an LGBTQ plus uh, night run by Forum Plus, which is a anti-hate crime charity in London, Islington. And it's monthly and it's been one of the things that has picked up massively online. I've talked about it before. It's on Zoom. It's free to attend. And on the 17th, Wednesday at 7pm this month, it is going to be with a feature guest of Faye Roberts who is a friend of the podcast and director of Spoken Word at the Free Fringe and does incredible, the Welsh Whisperer does incredible kind of mythological, lyrical storytelling pieces. Um, Yeah, so that should be good. Uh, We don't put the Zoom link out because Zoom bombers, so get in contact with me or with the Find the Facebook event and make yourself known. Um, Hannah Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H, on all of the <laughs> platforms, um, I can provide a variety of pictures of uh, rainbows arranged out of the nature I find around me. That seems to be what I'm doing on Instagram at the moment. Uh, but I'm also the host of Insight, uh, an LGBTQ plus uh, night run by Forum Plus, which is a anti-hate crime charity in London, Islington. And it's monthly and it's been one of the things that has picked up massively online. I've talked about it before. Uh, this month on the 17th, and it's on Zoom um the it's on zoom it's free to attend and on the 17th wednesday at 7 p.m this month it is going to be with a feature guest of faye roberts who is a friend of the podcast and director of spoken word at the free fringe and does incredible the welsh whisperer does incredible kind of mythological uh lyrical storytelling pieces um yeah so that should be good uh, and it's free to attend and it's online. Awesome. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Rebecca K. Cooney, Instagram at any name but Becky, and you can find uh, me on Facebook as Rebecca Cooney-Poet. Um, I'm also on uh, TikTok as Ooh. Rebecca K. Cooney, but I've yet TikTok, to do anything huh? with that. TikTok. Uh, will do. I Madness. will be doing Yes, I'm going to have a go at You're the You're going to be a sensation uh, with the kids. They love it. I feel ancient. I feel ancient. She's also but... on the next episode of Squid Game. <laughs> I don't feel that would end well for me. Um yep, uh you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you've heard, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, particularly Apple Podcasts, I believe, is a helpful place to to do that and help us spread the word. Please also shout us on social media, say hi. Tell our guests that you love them. Tell our featured also, poets guys. That you love there them. was uh, there was a list released today of the top listened to. Uh, I think it was fifteen top listened to uh, podcasts uh, about poetry in the UK. We weren't on it, so if you want us to be uh, on it, you've got to do all this stuff for us and help us, please. Yeah. 
Also, stay tuned. We can't we can't say anything yet, but we do possibly have some exciting news for next year. So, yeah. Before we share Elle's poem with you, I just want to thank her for letting us showcase her work. Uh, thank you to my co-host, Laurie and Hannah, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and, of course, to you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. Stones under bare feet. Pebbles round, hard. The smell of salt. It was only a dare, splash. He dived in after him, splash. Wasn't scared, splash. Rough waves. Constant waves. Constant in and out and in and out waves. Foam spray off the top of waves. Crashing waves, drowning waves, pouring wet, cold, fresh. Engorged seaweed grabs ankles, wraps around little legs, tickles legs, weightless, all legs seem little here. Roar of white horses, wind moans, pebbles are home, pebbles are stone. Soles of feet didn't have time to get hard this summer. Core of gulls up ahead, laughter of children. I've got older now. Laughter of gulls, they've got bolder now. Steal sandwiches from toddlers now. Remember when 99s were 99p? Approximately 5,000 items of beached marine plastic pollution. Bigger hand squeezes little hand at the sight of ice cream van per mile of beach in the UK. Falling over promises green. Mint chock chip. Slip pulled under into silence pressure on head numbs out sound in a calm violence beating chest weightless salt stung lips roly-poly hold your nose mermaid strength required to pull up breathe out with waves that are feral horses bucking don't get cocky surrender to the surge tide purges everything forth eventually now salt from the sea always gave the nicest curls for beachy hair without a care it was only a dare he dived in after him but wasn't scared no fear didn't intend to reach hero status premature end Attempts to mend body found four miles out from the pier and that's approximately 20,000 items of beached marine plastic pollution away and they say he wasn't scared. No fear. Hand holding. Gulls cawing. Waves crashing. Disbelief thrashing. We're meant to be invincible in our twenties. Plenty of seaside still to see. Plenty of paddles with trousers rolled up to the knee. Plenty of lick your salt-covered, ice-cream-smothered lips in unadulterated glee. Plenty of sunsets. Though no amount guaranteed. His was the first non-religious funeral I ever attended. The sound of the waves is still one that calms me. And I feel guilty. I'm so much older than you'll ever be.